Well, oftentimes it's hard to hold certain things together. It takes a lot of strength. It takes a lot of effort to hold things together. It's far easier to pick one thing and hold on to that and let something else go. It's far easier to focus on this one thing over here and let this other thing over here just simply fall away. Far too often we live by either ors or this versus that rather than both ands and holding something in benevolent and healthy tension. We pull things apart, we dismember things, we disintegrate things that are meant to be in union. Now in Paul's letter to the Colossians, in Colossians chapter 3 verse 17, he tells the church, he says, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, Paul is telling us that this life of apprenticeship to Jesus is a life of word and deed. It's a life of word and deed that is done in accordance with who Jesus is and empowered by his spirit living within us. That's why he, he talks about in the, Lord, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Word and deed, our words and our deeds as followers of Jesus represent him. We are to be aligned with him in everything we say and all that we do. So Paul is calling the Colossians to this practice of faithful witness. And as apprentices of Jesus, we are called to this practice of faithful witness. Now it's fitting and intentional in the design of our culture of apprenticeship here at VCC that the last of our seven practices is faithful witness. So as apprentices of Jesus, we are first united to this Jesus. We have his spirit living within us. We are united to the living God. And because of this new life, we now get to abide with him, to be with him, to dwell with him. And then we are empowered to obey what he says, all that we might now uh, be conformed to his image. Right? We are to image this Jesus on this earth. So faithful witness, what is it? Well, faithful witness is the practice of telling the good news of Jesus in word and deed. In word and deed. It is proclaiming the kingdom of heaven by what we say and what we do. See, this life of apprenticeship to Jesus is an authentic and an integrated life. All the pieces coming together, there is a great continuity between what we say and what we do. As apprentices of Jesus, we are being conformed into the image of our master. And there was this, this captivating continuity to Jesus. There was a congruence between his inside and his outside. He loved others with his words and with his deeds perfectly. And he is the true model and he is the empowerer of authentic living, which should resonate with our culture at, at some level, to some degree, because we're so obsessed with the authentic life. And nobody was more authentic than Jesus. Who he was inside was who he was outside. And so Paul tells the church to do everything, everything, in word and deed, in the name of the Lord. In other words, be like Jesus. <laughs> Just be like Jesus. 
Now here in our story today in Mark chapter 2, we see a congruent Jesus. We see a Jesus who is the same inside and out. And in this brief and powerful scene, we see his words and his deeds integrated. So let's open this up. Verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. So our, our story takes place in Capernaum. Capernaum is a small fishing village on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was Jesus' home base. It was his headquarters. It was where he lived for some three years. Now this is an image of Capernaum. Um, this is the shore of Capernaum. This is one of the key fishing beaches there looking out onto the Sea of, of Galilee. I took this a few years ago because I thought, man, Jesus must have looked at the same exact scene over and over. And so this is where this story takes place. Now Jesus has been out and about traveling. He has been doing Wonderful things, healing, restoring, all sorts of, doing all sorts of miracles. And he's been saying all sorts of paradigm-exploding things, changing the way people see the world. He has been reshaping the imaginations of all of those that he comes in contact with, showing them what the kingdom of heaven truly is. Well, he's back, and the crowds close in like moths to a lantern. News is out. Jesus is back in town. He's at so-and-so's house. Come on. Let's go. Let's see what's happening. There he is. He's preaching the word in a full house, standing room only. There's a crowd clustered by the door. No one can get in. No one can get out. The fire marshal of Capernaum is not so happy right now, right? Now, why is this the case? Why is this Jesus so compelling Why are there crowds gathered around this Jesus? Because two things are coming together in this man. Beautiful words and beautiful deeds coming together to spark light into this broken world. He has been preaching and teaching that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heaven has erupted and invaded this earth. And he has been doing wonderful things, healing, casting out demons, touching the untouchable, working signs. He's a teacher. He's a miracle worker. He's a rabbi. And he's a healer. And there's just something about when words and deeds come colliding together in a human being when someone lives in deep alignment with what they say and when their words are in deep alignment with the way they live it's it's magnetic it's compelling there's an integrity an authenticity that that we see in that person that we long for in ourselves there's a consistency that cultivates trust there's a consistency that cultivates trust and evidences genuineness And see, one of the number one ways that we build trust, it doesn't matter what leadership article you're reading or what counseling material you're reading, there's there's one key way that builds trust, and it is exhibiting consistency and living in accordance with your words. It's saying something and doing it. It's it's not over-promising and under-delivering. It's living in accordance with 
your words. Have you ever tried to watch a video uh, online and you have really bad internet and so the signal's terrible so the audio and the video come unlinked, right? Uh, we, we pulled up a show on Netflix the other day and the video's going and there's no sound and suddenly like 30 seconds later the sound's going but it's all out of sync. It was like watching some really bad 70s kung fu movie, you know, just terribly dubbed. Everything is out of sync and you can't track with the story. It's not beautiful because it's... It's disruptive. Your brain is telling you something's wrong here. Something's wrong here. Something's wrong here. Can I say that, that maybe some of our lives are like a badly dubbed 1970s kung fu movie? The people are watching it and they're going, something's wrong here. Something's wrong here. Something's wrong here. It's disintegrated. It's unsettling. Our lives can be hard to watch. Some of us teach grace and preach the kingdom, but graciousness is simply not in our way. There's a harshness, a severity, a demanding aspect, an unchristlikeness. And people watch it and go, I don't want to watch this Jesus movie. Some of us use words like love, but we end up treating people like objects to move and manipulate in order for our own self-gain to come about. And people say, I'm not watching that one. Now, with that said, uh, let's, let's move on here. Uh, notice what Jesus is doing in the house. He's preaching the word. He's preaching the word to them. What does this mean? Well, Mark has told us earlier that Jesus has been preaching the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom come to earth, God's will being done in Jesus. God is at work. The God who saves is on the move. And so our text shows us with specificity as to what was preached here in this moment so let's look here at verses three through four so so here's what's happening we have some really bold faithful friends of this paralytic man <clears throat> they literally tear the roof off the house to get to jesus because they can't get in there's there's no other way so so they create a new sunroof right and they they install a makeshift elevator they need to get to this jesus so Jesus watches this commotion. He, wa- he watches these audacious, cheeky friends of this man. And the moment's pregnant. Everyone is waiting for Jesus now to heal this guy because they know that's why his friends dropped him here through the roof. And so you can imagine particles, debris floating in the slants of light that are coming down through this room and light is hitting Jesus and this man and everyone's wondering what's going to happen. How is he going to heal him? And then surprisingly, Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus just totally threw everybody for a loop. No one was expecting this, right? They were expecting him to say, son, Time to dance. Get up, two-step, here we go. Not, you're forgiven. See, Jesus is preaching the word. He's preaching about the kingdom of heaven come, the good news of reconciliation, that God has come to those who have refused him and rejected him and pushed him away. He has come to heal them, to restore them, to make them right, to make them good, to unite them to himself. He has come to atone. He's come to cleanse, to wash us clean, to bring us home. 
He forgives our sins. Are you in need of forgiveness today? Do just hearing those words make you want to weep? Son, daughter, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. What good news. Now, what Jesus says is not lost on the religious leaders there with all of their credentials. They're deeply troubled. Well, you can't say that. And they're right. They, Jesus is just a man, can't say that. He's blaspheming, they say, because only God can forgive. So they're right, but they're incredibly wrong because Jesus isn't blaspheming because he is God in the flesh. He is preaching that the Son of God has come to redeem, to restore, and to wash clean. So the tension now is high in our text. So watch what happens. Let's pick up at verse 8. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your son or your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. See, Jesus knows what they're thinking. He knows their alarm bells are going off. That it's hard to believe that he can forgive sin. So he calls, calls it out. So he tells this paralyzed man, time to get up. Now it's time to dance. And that bed that carried you here, you will carry that bed home. Now before he does this, he says in verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. In other words, let my deeds reveal the truth that I'm speaking. Let the way I live show you that my words are reality. So we see this beautiful unity here of word and deed. And then what happens? Well, in verse 12, we see that this man's dead legs come to life. But more so, this man's dead heart comes to life. His sins have been forgiven by his creator and his redeemer and the lover of his soul. And Jesus has just witnessed to the goodness and the faithfulness of his father. Jesus has just ministered in both immediate, he's ministered to both an immediate and ultimate need. Jesus has both ministered to an immediate and ultimate need. By the way, Pastor Joe was talking about compassion and hope, what we were doing the last couple weeks. This is what we want to do as a people. We want to holistically minister to people to meet their immediate needs, but not just their immediate needs of having the, their, their thirst slaked or having their bellies full or, or helping them out of a broken, toxic system of injustice, but to give them the gospel. And if we really love them, then we will tell them the ultimate truth, but do what we can to love them in their immediate need, both and word and deed. The people were amazed. They had never seen anything like this. It's a captivating scene. And as apprentices of Jesus, we are to minister in word and deed. So how? How do we practice being faithful witnesses? Because we are called, we are, we are told that we are to be witnesses. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells the disciples that they will be his witnesses. 
from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. He's in concentric circles out until the whole globe is covered with the compassionate love and acts of Jesus. So how do we do this? How do we do this? Well, a couple suggestions here. There's infinite numbers of ways we can do this. It's a little bit of a challenging task to say here's how, how exactly, but here's, here's some thoughts. The first one is simply this. Tell your story of saving grace. Tell your story of saving grace. Talk about what this Jesus has done. We are in a room full of, of miracles, of a people who were dead, who are now alive. You have a story. You have something to say. A personal experience, an encounter with the creator of the universe. Let it be known. Talk about Jesus. And if you don't know, well, I don't know theology and I don't know systematics and I don't know how to talk about eschatology. It doesn't matter. Can you tell somebody about the one who changed your way of life? who brought your heart to life. Can you talk about him? Every one of us can. By the way, one of the great challenges, one of the great threats to our faithful witness is the tearing apart of word and deed. We are so skilled at divorcing good things that should be wed together. We like to form our camps, right? We, ha- we have this camp and I'm about to simplify this, so forgive me, but we have this camp that just says, preach the gospel, evangelize, tell the truth. That's all you need to do. And then we have this other camp over here that's like, fight the injustice, take social action, do something, feed the poor. And then we, so we have these, these caricatures, right? We have what's become the theological right. It just says, preach the gospel and then pray when there's another... Tragic event. But then we have what's called like the, the theological left. And it's like, well, for, forget that. What they need is somebody to help them in the moment. And we split these things into these two different camps. Care for the poor and tell them about the riches of Jesus. They're just split up. And it's this, this bizarre, polarizing, either-orism. This is the work of the serpent. The work of the serpent wants to tear apart what God has woven together. He wants to sever and rupture what should be wed into a beautiful whole. He wants to disintegrate and to dehumanize. These things live together. They live gloriously, beautifully together in Jesus. And they should in us. Are you an evangelism church or are you a discipleship church? Yes. Like, why does it have to be either or? The, the two live together. Which, which atrium of your heart is more important, the left or the right? Which one would you like to keep? I'm going to keep both. Thank you. That's how we're designed. If I only tell my children I love them, Every day, profusely, I love you, I love you, I love you. But I'm never there when they're hurting. And I'm not compassionately walking alongside them. And I'm not enjoying life with them. And and I'm not pouring myself into them. And if I'm not sacrificing for them, all they're going to know are empty words. And they'll have a deformed version of what love is. 
if all I do is, is actions for them, sacrifice in so many ways, but I never have a heart-to-heart with them. I never open up my lips and say, I delight in you. I love you. They're not going to know their father's heart, and they're not going to link these things in the way they ought to be linked. Why tear apart what is meant to be beautifully woven together? We must be people with the name of Jesus on our lips and with his love coming out through our hands. That said, uh, the gospel is news to be told. It is a kingdom to be proclaimed. It is a truth to be heralded. And so often we, we bow out of the verbal, the explicit verbalizing of it because it's, it's kind of controversial. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 tells us this. This is the Great Commission. Jesus came to them and said to them, his apprentices, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Explicit gospel proclamation and teaching. Explicit. And that's for all believers, not just somebody who has a title of, of pastor. Like, all of us are called to be witnesses, right? So many of you are way better witnesses than me. You're telling people about Jesus all week long. It's easy from behind a pulpit. It's harder in Trader Joe's, I promise you. For both comfort and safety's sake, we will often in our current culture err on the side of doing good rather than speaking the good news. It looks a lot less weird in this world. Guys, you don't have to go tell people the good news. You get to tell people that you were dead and you're alive. You get to tell people that you had no hope and no future and now all eternity is opened up before you in prismatic display because of Jesus Christ. We get to do this. Our sins are forgiven. They are wiped away. Okay, got to move on. Next one, practice gospel hospitality. Here's a way that we can operate in, in word and deed. Practice gospel hospitality. Welcome other people into your life. Be intentional about opening your life to others. Get involved in their lives. Get curious about them. Ask questions. Care. Bring other people into your circle of friends, into your family, into your church. Invite them to dinner, to your house, to your comm group, to a barbecue. Go out to coffee with them and say, come and, come and see. And that will involve you in all sorts of acts of saying and doing gospel things. Such deeds become platforms, plausibility structures for gospel proclamation. They knock down emotional barriers that have been erected in people's lives because they have not felt the love of God. Bring them in. Practice gospel hospitality. Again, that can take so many forms. That one's kind of inviting people in. Now here's one for us as a church family. Seek to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Paul says it in Ephesians 4, we are to be those who maintain, who seek to maintain the unity of the spirit that he has given us. The spirit has granted us unity in Jesus Christ. We are brothers and sisters together. And that means we should operate like a family that loves one another. But you guys know families fight, right? They have problems. 
And what this means is that we need to refuse backbiting, gossip, demeaning talk, that we need to lay down our preferences, lay down our rights for the good of our brothers and sisters. We need to forgive one another. And we need to seek reconciliation. We need to assume the best. And such an other-centered love is a witness to God's love for us. Remember in John, Jesus says, your love for one another, the unity that you have that's exhibited to this world will show forth my love to this world. So our love for one another and our, our unity with one another shows his love for us and the unity that we have in him. The next one is, this might sound really bizarre, but it's suffer well and grieve with hope. This is an incredible witness to the world. Suffer well and grieve with hope. This is one of the most profound ways that we can practice faithful witness. When, when you trust in the resurrection, when you maintain by God's grace a sense of joy. That, I'm not saying that that gets rid of tears, but there's joy set among tears. The world goes, I, I don't understand. You, you've lost your child. You've lost your parent. You, you've lost your friend. How is there still hope within you? Because of the cross of Christ. Because of the resurrection. See, hope and joy in the face of darkness is a profound, is a profound witness. The next one, next category here, uh, this is a big one, but this is what we've been studying and, and thinking through for weeks now. And so here it is. Cultivate faithful witness with the other six apprenticeship practices. I didn't write those up here, but let me, let me say them. Um, scripture, meditation, unceasing prayer. Life together, we kind of hit on that with hospitality already. Unhurried presence, go about this world differently. Joyful generosity, giving to others what God has graciously given to you and compassionate gentleness, not striking back when, when you're struck and, and sacrificing yourself for the good of others, using power for the good of others. All of these things are practices that, that form within us a Christ-like character. Once we get scripture in us and, and when we're talking with the Lord, well, those things will then come out as we are engaging with other people so that we might be people with, with kingdom words on, on our lips and kingdom actions coming through our hands, ready to give when there's a need to give that's in front of us. So this is the culmination of the practices. It's a different one, but all the other ones will lead up to or prepare our souls to be faithful witnesses. So we explain the good news, and then we give our lives to illustrate it. Again, an authentic life, one in which word and deed are integrated and are consistent. They're, just, they're strange in, in this world that traffics in masks and traffics in pretenses and virtue signaling and photo editing and putting forward the highlight reels like my best life, here it is. When we are consistent it's compelling. It doesn't, doesn't save anyone, only Christ can. But we are called to be ambassadors of his kingdom. Now a couple things here. As we close this sermon series, 
I want to ask this. How is it possible that we do these things? How is it possible that uh, word and deed come together to minister to this world and show forth Jesus? Remember our paradigm, right? There's four parts. Union, abiding, obeying, and imaging. We are united to the living God because of the work of Jesus. We get to abide with him and dwell with him because he is here with us. The spirit is present. He empowers us to obey and we are being conformed into his likeness. So, with that said, I want to read one more verse here. Um, this is from Acts. I already referenced it, but I want to read it now. This is Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Listen to what, um, what is said here. Jesus says this to his apprentices. So, when they, his apprentices, had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, will you make everything right, like right now? Is it all done? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. How do we practice faithful witness? Through his empowering grace. Notice the order. He says, power will come upon you. The spirit will come to you. And when the spirit comes to you, you will be my witnesses. Because the spirit of the living God is with you. Heaven is breathing through you. You now have life. And you can go out in this world. And you can live and you can testify. See, friends, it's only because of the work of Jesus. It's only because of his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension and the sending of his spirit that we can be faithful witnesses to the kingdom. The apex. The apex of faithful witness. The summit where the slopes of word and deed meet in brilliant and healing light is the cross of Jesus. Because in the cross of Jesus... The words and the promises of God meet the embodiment of God, meet sacrifice, and the world is, be, is now being healed because these meet perfectly in Christ. Word and deed on the cross, Christ's words of truth and love merge in the most beautiful healing way. There's a picture I want to show you. Um, go ahead and show that, show that picture. Um, what do you see? What does that look like? A human being. It looks like a homeless person. Look closer. Look at the feet. Do you see it? Do you see the wounds? This is a statue called Homeless Jesus. Um, when I saw this, uh, I was yards away, and I thought it was a homeless person sleeping on a bench. This was a few years ago as we were walking into the city of Capernaum. This is a statue in the city of Capernaum. And as I got closer, I realized it was a statue. And as I got closer... I saw the scars, like, 
just did something, man. Just broke something in me. This week, as I was sitting in a coffee shop in Livermore, I pulled the picture up on my, my phone to put in the, the file, and I'm, like, in the corner of the coffee shop crying, and, like, everyone's just like, what's with this guy? Like, what an image of words and deeds meeting together. The God of heaven coming to an exiled, homeless people who have rejected him and not just handing them some doctrine, not just handing them some teaching, but entering into the place of brokenness, entering into the place of pain, taking the sin upon himself, taking the wounds upon himself to make us whole, to heal us, and to restore us. And because he did that, had no place to lay his head on the earth that he created, had, had nails driven into the feet that walked the earth that he created. We're brought home. We're made alive. We are his apprentices. This faithful one has made us his apprentices. And so we are like the paralytic in the story. We are like the paralytic in the story. We are forgiven. And he picks us up and we are empowered to walk with this Jesus. So let us arise as his followers with faithful witness in word and deed. And let us, like those friends, like those friends of the paralytic, let us bear witness to Jesus by laboring to bring others to the feet of Jesus that they too may rise and walk. What roof will you rip off? What makeshift pulley system will you rig? How will your words and deeds combine so that somebody else may see and sit at the nail-scarred feet of their healer? Father, in your grace, grant us the gift of being faithful witnesses in words and deeds. Have our tongues, have our hearts, have our hands, our feet, our minds, every ounce of this flesh, every synapse of our nervous system. May it be yours for your glory. Amen.